You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, I want to invite you to 1 John. We began this series two weeks ago, and we hit the pause button, and Jeff came and delivered a message about missions. And so we're going to pick back up this week, and what is happening is John, the Apostle John, is writing this letter. He is most likely in the area of Ephesus, and he's writing this letter to several churches, and he is writing up against this deadly false teaching that we saw. And do you remember the name of the group or the teaching that we saw two weeks ago? Do you remember what it was called? It was Gnosticism. I heard it once. Do you remember what the meaning of Gnosticism is? It means knowledge. And this is what we saw. This group of false teachers came in and they began teaching two major false truths. The first one was this, that... The physical body was evil, but the spirit was good. And they distinguished between the two. And what they taught was that Jesus did not actually become a man. He was God in the spirit, but he only appeared to be a man. And they began denying the incarnation. The problem with that is, if you take away the incarnation, you take away the heart of the gospel that God became man to live the life that he never could have lived and die the death that he deserved. Because without the incarnation, there is no salvation at all. But there was another false teaching that came out of this, and they taught that the way you gain salvation is not through faith, it's not through Jesus Christ, it was through this secret super knowledge that only a few were able to obtain it, and it created this spiritual pride. So this morning, we're going to pick back up in verse 5. In fact, when you read all through the Bible, the Bible is really all about one long journey. You see it in Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22. It's this long and seemingly impossible journey. In fact, you see it in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. You see it in the worldwide flood with Noah and his family. In Genesis 11, you see this journey in the Tower of Babel. You go to Exodus 20 with Moses, and you see it in giving of the law and the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 26, in the construction of the tabernacle. You read through the book of Leviticus, and you see this journey in what we call the feast or offering. In Deuteronomy 2, you see it when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. You read through the book of Joshua and you see this journey when the return of the tribes of Israel to their land. You turn a few pages to the judges and you see it in their disobedience and their need for a judge to rule. You go to 1 and 2 Samuel and you see this journey played out in the Ark of the Covenant. First and second kings, their need of someone to step up and lead. You also read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah when they return to Israel and there's this rebuilding of the walls and the temple. Even in the prophetic and poetry books of like Psalms, you hear words of cries for help and deliverance and praises. 
But even in the prophets, you read about this journey and warnings of coming judgment. And you turn to the New Testament and the journey is still there even to the day in the age of the church. Because the Bible is telling the story of one long, seemingly impossible journey. And the journey is this. How can sinful man, sinful human beings, ever have fellowship with a holy God? And that is really the entire theme of all of scriptures. How can sinful human beings have fellowship with a holy God? And it's the same journey from the creation of man all the way up until today. But the problem is that there's kind of many ways of life, you would say many beliefs or systems and even religions that try to answer this question. Therefore, Christianity is no different. Christianity must be able to answer the question, how can sinful human beings ever have fellowship with a holy God? Because think about it. If God is perfect, He's immutable. He is all-powerful. He is unknowable. He is absolutely holy and completely pure. How in the world can sinful, created, powerless, unrighteous people ever have fellowship with Him? And what you find is John begins answering this question in his gospel. He begins talking about this fellowship begins in the death of life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he paints that picture for us in his gospel. But when you go to John's epistle, what he is doing, it's all about the basis of how do you then create this ongoing fellowship with a holy God. You see, I think one of the greatest dangers we face, especially in our day and time in the church, is this. Is that we do, we, we should talk a lot about and focus a lot about how do you begin that journey. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, period. But then what happens after that? And I think for many of us, we look at those situations, we look at that scenario, and it's almost like we get our ticket stamped for heaven and then we're just sitting around waiting for that time to come. And many of us are just still stuck at that train station waiting for eternity to begin. And that is such a narcissistic mindset. That is what they taught. But over and over, John is going to show us how wrong that thinking is. So today, we're going to see John lay out the prerequisite or the start for an ongoing fellowship with a holy God. In fact, you're going to see it played out, laid out before us in one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament. But it's one that is often misunderstood and misapplied. So in order for us to have this ongoing fellowship with God, we must do this. And you see it beginning in verse 5. This is how John begins. This is the message that I heard and that I'm proclaiming to you. And he says that he heard this message from him. That This is the message John heard straight from Jesus Christ. And it is now his calling, his purpose to bring it to everyone that he comes into contact with. And this is the message. 
He says that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. So John's about to talk about how you have this ongoing fellowship with the Holy God. And notice, He doesn't start with you and me. He doesn't start with sinful human people. He starts with God. And He makes a declaration. And He says, God is light. And here's where we have to kind of slow down and be a little careful. When you read through Scripture, you see two main meanings of this word in the Bible. The first meaning or use of light is in reference to God talking about His moral, His perfection, His no blemish, unstained, no mark of sin on His character. That He is absolutely perfect. It's referring to God's holiness in the noun sense. And listen, John believes that. But I believe John is focusing on something else here because there's a second meaning, a use of this word light. It also has a verb use. It talks about, it focuses on what the light does. It's used in talk through scripture about God is a light and that, that he reveals or he shines a light upon, that he, he illuminates, kind of like his revelation. And so notice then John makes another declaration. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And the same meanings can be applied to this word darkness. It could also mean that talking about there's no darkness in God at all, that He has absolutely no flaw or imperfection in His character. And we would absolutely affirm that. But I believe John is focusing on something else, is what God does the verb sense in him is no darkness in all meaning everything that he does is absolutely right everything that he does is 100% accurate everything that he displays that he shines a light upon is absolutely perfect that every action of god is right but then what is god, john referring to or meaning we're going to see it in just a moment because John is about to answer kind of three uh, rebuttals or debates that are, are posed to him. He's teaching about God is light, in him is no darkness at all. And somehow like three people raise these objections. And he's going to answer them because they all begin with the statement, Well, if we say, in these three arguments, he's going to answer, How do sinful believers have an ongoing continual fellowship with a holy and perfect God, because look at the first one in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and note this is so important to understand the context of this, John is talking to believers. He's not talking about how salvation or justification begins. That is in his gospel. John here, his audience is believers. It's people that are saved. And he said, they said, if we say we have fellowship with Him. And this word fellowship is such a key a theme to John's letter. And here's what that word means. To be in fellowship or to have fellowship means you have something in common. It means that you're agreeing with someone about Something And so John is beginning to answer this question, how can sinful human beings have fellowship or have something in common, agree with, 
a holy God. And they say, if we say we have fellowship or something in common with God, but while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so the big debate about this verse is what does he mean by darkness? What does he mean by light? Is John saying God is light and there's absolutely no holiness, there's all holiness, no imperfection, no stain of sin, and we would affirm that. But I don't think that's what John is meaning here. Because notice what he says. He says, if we have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, if light is God's absolutely pure perfection, how could we ever walk in that to have fellowship with him? As believers, that would be absolutely impossible. So I don't think he's talking about the complete sinlessness of people in order to have fellowship with God because it would be absolutely impossible. But if fellowship is having something in common, if it is sharing something, I don't think it can be God's perfection because that is outside of anything we can do. But if fellowship is having something in common or sharing with or being in agreement with God, that is possible. So I think what John is saying is that the prerequisite of the start to a fellowship or agreeing with God is we must first of all agree about who He is and who we are. If we deny that, if we can't agree on that, you cannot have any ongoing fellowship with God. So then what do we need to be in agreement about? The good news is John shows us in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light. See, I don't think he's talking about uh, perfection. Because how in the world could we do that? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light the light. And what does that light do? I think John is saying walking in the light as he is in the light is being honest with God. Just notice what he says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. We are in agreement with God about something. And John shows us where we need to be in most agreement or have something in common with God about it. And he says it in the last part of verse 7. We have fellowship with God. We walk in the light. We agree with Him. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So this is, I think, John's point. Walking in the light is allowing God to shine His holiness. It's the verb form. To shine His holiness, His perfection on our sin. That's what it means to walk in the light. It's the verb form. When God shines His light on our sin, we are honest about what it reveals. Therefore, walking in darkness is the exact opposite. It's hiding from the truth that God reveals about our sin. And when we agree with God about that, that is walking in the light. But that isn't a comfortable place to be, is it? No one likes to be told the wrong. No one likes to face their sin. No one likes to be called out. 
But notice the beauty that every believer has. When we walk in the light, when we're being honest about our sin, notice the promise. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of it. So I think John is laying out the prerequisite of the start for how do we begin this journey? How do we keep this ongoing fellowship with God? It begins with honesty. Being honest and open, being in agreement with God about our sins. That we should not hide from that truth. That we should not run when God shines His light on the sin that is in our life. And then there's the second question in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now doesn't that sound really crazy? I've yet to really meet anybody that says, you know what, I really don't sin anymore. I've never sinned. You just don't see that. Most people say, yes, I'm a sinner. And we leave it at that. But you know what we do? We do. We downplay sin. Men have often thought, well, what I did was really not that bad. Or if you only knew what they did, man, what I did doesn't really seem that bad. We're really good at renaming sin. We use words to kind of reduce the severity. It's not that I sinned, but you know, I, I made a mistake. And I've got this shortcoming in my life. We don't call it sin. It's not lying. I just, I didn't tell the whole truth. It's not adultery anymore. We just say cheating. It's not abortion anymore. It's called health care. The truth is, is that you can change the label on a bottle of poison, but you cannot change the poison that is inside you. You can label it all that we want, but it doesn't change what's in that bottle. In fact, one person said it like this. You can ban sin from your vocabulary, but not your veins. So we rename things, or we excuse it. Well, you just don't know what they did. I hear that all the time in my house. When it comes to sin that God reveals there's really only two options. You run to the darkness and we refuse to agree with God about it, or you do what it says in verse 9. We confess our sin. So to walk in the light, it begins with being open and honest, agreeing with God about our sin. That you're absolutely right, Lord. You're absolutely right. I totally agree with what you are showing me about my life. And then we confess. And John is not talking about confession that leads to salvation. He's talking about fellowship that is created by this continual confession of sin that God continues to expose to us. So this word confession, I want to drill down for just a moment on this. When I think about confession and I read through the scriptures, I see three components that have often been missing from my life in this. The first one would be agreement. I don't know if I've ever seen this before, that the first thing is agreeing, having fellowship with God about my sin. And agreeing or believing that my sin, whether how little I think it is, is absolutely atrocious. 
and that my sin, as minimal as I think it might be, it absolutely grieves God. There's no excusing, no renaming, no blaming. I agree with God about the sin that He shines a light on. But then there's the next thing. I would call it the word recognition. It's recognizing our inability to fix it. How often have you had that conversation with God and you say, you know what, God, I am sorry about that. And you know what? I am never going to do that again. We've all done that. But think about that for just a moment. In the same breath that we admit that we screwed up, and we think that we have the ability to keep from blowing it again, and that is not being honest. So confection includes being honest with God, agreeing with Him, but admitting that we can't fix it. But there's a third component. I labeled it relational. Often when I've sinned or do something like that, I think we err in thinking that we simply broke some rule or law. And I think what can happen is we begin viewing God as this judge that made this law, put this in place, and I broke it. I need to feel bad about it. And then I plead with him to forgive me. You know, that is not the biblical definition of confession. Because let me paint it this way. If you've ever been in my house, I've got several mounts on my wall. My wife says, that's enough, no more. Well, she doesn't know there's one more coming. Uh, but I look at these things, and they really are, they're almost like a prized possession. Because I can look at them, and it takes me back to these memories that I've had. And, and man, I, I just love having them all around my house. Let's imagine one of my kids walks in, and maybe they're playing ball in the house like they shouldn't have. And I wasn't the one that instigated it or did it this time. One of them knocks one of the mounts off the wall and breaks it. They come in and say, hey, Dad, I need to tell you something. I knocked one of your mounts off the wall and it broke. Uh, my bad, sorry about that. And they leave. Now, have they said they're sorry? Absolutely. But is that a true confession? I would say no, because it's lacking something. But say they come and they say, hey, Dad, there's something I need to tell you. There's something I need to confess. I was playing ball in the house, and I knew I shouldn't have been doing that. And something happened. The ball hit one of your mounts, it fell off the wall, and it broke. And I know how important those are to you, and that I'm sorry. I know there isn't anything I, I can't do to fix it but will you forgive me? And you see the difference? One of those is relational, and one of them is not. That God is not a judge that we've offended, that we have to plead with to forgive us. But He's a Father that we've grieved. And so when God shines His light, our tendency is to run back to the darkness and to hide from our sin. But what we need to be seeing is that this isn't something new. It happened the very first time humanity sinned. What is the first thing they did? They ran and hide. They ran and hid. So here's the promise that John reminds us all of in the last part of that verse. If we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So church, hear me this morning. We do not have to hide from our sin or shy away from God anymore when our sin is exposed. Because the promise is that He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse, it says. The forgiveness, it doesn't come from just saying we're sorry or promising to do better. Forgiveness is found in believing a promise. The forgiveness is found when we're believing. We agree with God about our sin and we also agree with Him about His promise to forgive us. So if you hear only one thing this morning, this is it. Every time we confess, God acts. Every single time. The believers never have to worry about God's forgiveness. But then my question is, why do we lack such openness and honesty with God? Why are we so afraid of the light that He shines into our life on our sin? Well, the problem is, it's because we see this in every relationship that we have. You see it in your friendships, you see it in your marriages, you see it with your children. No matter what the relationship, you see it. And it's this. We lack honesty. We shy away from openness when we are fearful that what I'm about to share is going to fracture this relationship. That's why we're not honest. That's why we're not open is because we're afraid if I share this, this relationship will not be the same. Now I want you to know, Marlon and I have been married for 26 years only by God's grace. And I like to think that we have an open and honest relationship. And I often share things I'm struggling with or ways that I've failed. But we know this, if either one of us is hiding something or we're dishonest, that relationship will suffer. But we will only be open and honest if we believe about what I'm about to open up with, if what I'm about to be honest with, that you will never leave. That is the only way any of us will ever be open and honest. If in any moment we are uncertain about the security of our relationship, no matter what it is, we will not be honest. So the thing I think I love most about our marriage is that even with all of my flaws, all of my mistakes, all of my sin, she continues to accept me. That she knows me better than anyone. Because I know this. Our relationship isn't based on my performance, on my perfection, on my holiness. That's not what our relationship is built upon. Our relationship is built on honesty. But you see, it's the same with God. That we will not be honest if we think, if I agree with him about this, if I open up about this, it's going to change. It's going to fracture our relationship. But believer, know this. Your relationship with God is not based on your performance. It's not based on how well you're doing. It's not based on how sinless you are. Because that was already achieved 
for you. Your relationship is not based on being perfect and getting everything right because God knows you even better than anyone else. And that relationship began and it continues based on one thing, faith. Believing that if I confess, God is faithful and just to forgive. And that is the only way that it works. So quickly look at the last debate. It's as if we say, We have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. That there was actually a debate of saying, you know what? I have no need for God because I have no sin. So I think what John is saying is that we have to be honest and recognize our need for God for everything. So this morning, I hope we can see this, that ongoing fellowship with God is only possible When we're honest. That walking in the light. It's not talking about your performance or your sinlessness. But your honesty. Because walking in the darkness is hiding from the truth of the light that God reveals. But the only way you and I will ever be honest. Is if we believe that our relationship with God is secure. And the security of our relationship with Him is not based on my performance, but on the faithfulness of His promise. So hear this. If we confess, God acts. You never have to worry about God's forgiveness. Because I think this is the problem we all face. We think when we become believers, and we begin this journey, and we try really hard to do all these things, that the longer we're a Christian, the more holy we should actually feel. You know what I've realized? The longer I'm a Christian, the more sinful I am. Because God continues to shine His light in my life. And I hope that I'll always be at the place that I can agree with Him. Now what happens is we confess, believe in the promise, and we find forgiveness. And we find cleansing. Because when we begin to feel despair and hopelessness, when we see our sin, you know the great news for believers is to trust in the promise that He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because when we're honest, when we face the truth about ourselves, we should hear the always deeper truth of God's Word say, in Jesus, you are forgiven. So no, when we confess, God always acts. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. We never have to worry about God's forgiveness. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.